I've been talking for weeks, actually we've been talking for months about God's great restoration project. God has brought you and I into a restoration project. He's calling you to a restoration project of you and ultimately of his whole universe. Long ago, we as a people, mankind as a race of beings, lost, shattered the most precious possession that anyone could have. We rejected it, and in rejecting it, we lost it. And that was the greatest tragedy that ever befell the human race. We lost the greatest thing that could be lost. We lost the glory of God. We lost the ability to see the glory of God. We lost our ability to really see him and treasure him for all he is in our hearts. The loss of the glory of God explains why when we walk outside and we see the trees and we see the clouds and we see the sun, we don't just get down on the ground and start crying tears of praise because we just don't see it anymore as a race of people. The heavens declare the glory of God, but we barely hear it. The angels proclaim Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. But we're so blind to it. But we in Christ are being restored to be able to see and taste that glory. We are being brought back into the intimate relationship with the transcendent almighty God that we were made for. We are being restored to be able to experience and taste and see his goodness, his power, to feel his love, to enjoy how great he is and how awesome he is. We lost it, but he's putting it back together. We threw away our inheritance to be in perfect fellowship with our creator and we broke it. But he's giving it back to us through his son and through his spirit. God the father is restoring your ability to see his glory bit by bit, little by little, day by day. God, he is giving you back the greatest thing he could give you, the ability to treasure him as he is treasurable, to enjoy him as he is enjoyable, to be fulfilled and satisfied by the most fulfilling and satisfying thing that ever existed, him. The whole book of Romans is really one great unpacking of this restoration project. We're in chapter five. We've been looking at two verses in chapter five for the better part of three weeks. Not only am I a kind of a, not the greatest deft preacher to get through these things quickly, but these two verses summarize all of eternity for you and for me. So forgive me for not blowing by them quickly. But today we're gonna try to move on into verses three and five but I got one last trick with verses one and two. I want to frame them a certain way briefly, a way that I think is actually repeated here in three and five so that you guys will be able to have a framework for understanding what he's doing, Paul's doing in these verses. Something he does a lot. It's the principle of cause and effect, chains of cause and effect. We go to the next slide. Next slide. I'd like you guys to think about dominoes, just like that. Dominoes, the chain of cause and effect. Because what Paul's doing in verses one and two 
and three and four and five is he's explaining a chain of cause and effects like dominoes. And go to the next slide. If we look at verses one and two, I want you to think about these dominoes, this chain of effects that's happening. Therefore, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So think of God in his love standing over a set of dominoes called justification, peace with God, grace, the hope of God's glory. And in his love, those dominoes which determine your eternal destiny, he just flicks the first one. What's gonna happen? They're all gonna go. They're all gonna fall. The first one secures all the rest of the dominoes falling down, right? Now, falling down is weird. It sounds like a defeatist. But what I mean is, let's think of it as initiating, making it happen. So domino one gets flicked, justification by faith. And what happens is we turn in repentance and faith to the free gift of God in Christ. God tears up our record of sin because Jesus paid it all. And he declares us, despite our imperfections and sins, righteous in his sight because all our sins are paid for. That's what it means to be justified. The first domino falls, but what happens? It causes the next domino to fall. The next domino is peace with God. Now God is at peace with us because we're justified. No angry judgments await us anymore because Jesus took our judgment. He will never oppose us or be hostile towards us in any judge way, but he will only always ever before us because of Jesus' blood. We have peace with God forever. The second domino falls, peace with God. It causes the third domino to fall. What is that third domino? Grace in which we now stand. We're in a new world now. Peace with God. Peace with God means God is now freed up because our sins have been paid for And he doesn't have to judge us anymore. He is freed up to treat us how he wants to. And that is with unending grace. We no longer relate to him as a judge giving out holy law to determine whether we will be destroyed or saved. We relate to him as a father. We are his children forever. That's the grace we have. We have access to our father every moment of every day through Jesus. And as his children... Our Father will provide all we need and protect us from all eternal harm. That's the grace that we now stand in because of justification and peace with God. So the third domino falls leading to domino four, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. This cumbersome little phrase is the completion of that restoration project I talked about a few minutes ago. God's unending grace will guarantee we will be fully restored. So solid and guaranteed is that that Paul says we can rejoice today, right now, before it's finished, that it will be finished. And what is the finishing of that restoration project? What is it that God is trying to do with you and with me? It's very often not what we think he's trying to do, not what we hope he's trying to do. 
because our ambitions are way too low. What he's trying to do is restore in you the capacity to receive all of him and worship him and glory in him and enjoy who he is and reflect his glory perfectly. He is trying to restore in you and will restore in you if you belong to Christ Jesus, the ability to be infinitely satisfied by his infinite goodness. It's the best thing for you, whether you feel it or not. It's the best thing that could be given to any person. And I've preached a lot about that in the last couple of weeks. But that's the journey we're on. And just as one domino falls guarantees the next, God is going to do this. Which brings us to verses three and five. Verses three through five. Next slide, please, Ed. This next set of dominoes, he gives us in verses three through five, another set of dominoes. We might call them the dominoes of suffering. The dominoes no one wants. But if we knew better, we would. And sometimes we know better and we do. But here is this subset. And I call it a subset because it's, if you'll forgive me for getting a little technical with my analogy here, it's really a part of the first set. And I would squeeze it right in, and out, right in there after grace given to us. Access to grace. We stand in the grace of God. That's where these set, this second set of dominoes goes. So it comes in when after justification and peace with God, we're given grace. This is included in the grace God gives us. It is actually the outworking of his grace that will see to it that we are restored to him and see his glory. So this is a set of dominoes that nobody is like itching to hold on to and volunteer for, but it is crucial, indispensable. It must happen to you. If you want to make the restoration project finish line, if you want God's restoration of you to be complete, you have to go through this set of dominoes called suffering. So let's talk about it. Let's jump into it. Find out what it has to tell us about this restoration project God has us in. Starting in verse three, Paul says about this new set of dominoes, the dominoes of suffering. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance, endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you see the set of dominoes. Paul says a lot. He says a lot of stuff. But he always knows what he's talking about. And he's really careful. And everything he says has meaning and logic. And this is the same. He's talking about Stuff that he knows is true and is going to happen to us. You will suffer as a believer. It will cause endurance, which will cause character, which will lead to hope. You notice that this set of dominoes leads to the same place that the first set of dominoes did. The last set of dominoes led to hope of the glory of God. This set of dominoes leads to hope. It's the same place. And I want you to see that right from the outset. We're going to the same place. Hope that we will be fully restored to be able to see God's glory and reflect it. And I want you to see this right now because really, 
it really does answer the question for you and for me. This massively huge, gnawing question. Why am I going through this thing? Why do I have to be like this? Why is this being done to me? When will I get over this? When will I be better? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to the people I love? And now it's happening to me because I love them. And I don't mean this in any superficial platitudinal way. But if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, it's happening to you because God is restoring you. To be able to treasure him, to be able to be satisfied in him above everything else, and to be able to reflect his goodness. That's why. That's why he's doing it. And that might be the last thing you think of when you think about suffering, when you're in the midst of it especially. But God says, that's why I'm doing this. He is going to use suffering to bring you fully back to what you were created for, to know him, to rejoice in him, to be satisfied by him. But to get to that place, you have to change. Because even after Christ saves you, even after you're born again, you and I know that indwelling sin, it continues to numb us, to blind us, to war in our hearts against God and his goodness. Indwelling sin leads us to want not God, but all the stuff of this world without him, which is terrible for us and an insult to God. And so one of the tools God uses, and a necessary one, is this tool of suffering. Suffering, Paul tells us, is an instrument in God's hand to pry us from believing and wanting and hoping that all that's in this world is better than God, the good stuff and the bad stuff, and to restore us to sanity, to the reality of what reality really is, which is that he's the greatest thing, and he's the thing we were made for. So now that I've said that, let's look at the dominoes one by one. The first domino, well, it's suffering. The word suffering in the Greek relates to being pushed down or crushed. It's the word that relates to olives when they're thrown in a big vat and they're pushed down and crushed to make olive oil. Or the crushing of grapes, same word we use, well, they would use to talk about grapes getting smushed and crushed down to make wine. Or it related to the crushing and cutting of wheat stalks to separate the heads of wheat where the kernel of wheat is and all that good yummy bread from the rest of the stock, which is waste. So we see right away from these images how the suffering God allows into your life and my life is never about suffering for its own sake. You don't crush grapes so you can tear up those skins and make them mushy. No, you, you crush grapes to make and all God's people said, wine. Likewise, God never brings us into suffering for its own sake. He allows suffering to bring something else out of it. And now the domino falls. And next it tells us specifically what it is that God is trying to bring out of you, not wine or olive oil, but something called, the next slide please, endurance. Knowing that suffering, suffering produces endurance. I'm gonna spend most of the message here on this point. This is what God is trying to produce out of your life through suffering, endurance. The Greek word translated, well, depending on what Bible you're looking at, it'll be endurance or steadfastness or steadfast patience or perseverance or patient endurance. But it, it just means, it, it comes from a combination of words, which means under, 
below something and a living place, a home, an abode. The idea is that you're living, you're remaining in a place. You're remaining in an abode instead of fleeing the place, instead of not remaining in the place. Now, I want to qualify something here. It's really important to understand that just like we don't suffer for, for its own sake, we don't mush grapes to get mushy grapes, we don't endure just to endure. So why this is important is to remember things like this. A wife who's being abused by her husband should never think God wants me to endure being beat by this man. No, no, she should run to the police. She should run to her friends as quickly as she can. Jesus himself told the apostles, when they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. God's not a sadist. If we can leave a situation of suffering without sinning, we should leave that situation. If we can find relief from suffering in the means he's provided, lawful means, whether it be protection of the police or the comfort of legal pain medication when we're struggling with cancer, we should use those means. No, it's not what God means to stay in suffering for its own sake. No, the endurance Paul means is staying under suffering, listen to me here, instead of running from it for the wrong reason or to the wrong escape. The endurance Paul means is staying under suffering instead of running from it to the wrong escape. Instead, we endure it with God as long as he circumstantially calls us to. And if we think about it, if we really stop to slow down and think about it, he calls us to this kind of endurance and this kind of suffering all the time. I think every day. See, we read these words and think, Paul, when he wrote these words, he must be talking to the Romans about Enduring being under prison when you can't get out. And for him, that was real. Or enduring beatings when he couldn't run away. And that was real. Or slander for the gospel. And we think, oh, that's when these words will have meaning for me. That's when I'll have to endure. That's when God will provide the grace. And someday we may be called to endure that kind of suffering. Certainly, it happens in this world all over the place. That's why we pray for the persecuted church I think it's fair to speculate that it may happen a lot more in America. But Paul, Paul is not writing to other Christians in prison when he says these things. He's writing, in fact, to Christians who are not in prison. At the time he's writing these words, many of the people in Rome were living lives a lot like yours and mine. I'm not aware of a tremendous persecution going on at the Church of Rome like there was maybe in the Hebrew church or the, church that was <coughs> the Christians that were written in the book of the Hebrews. So the suffering that the Romans are being called to by Paul to endure is in many ways like yours and mine today. And what might that look like? Well, let's take a hypothetical case. Some of you can relate to this. Some of you can't, but by principle, I hope you'll be able to relate. Say you're a parent and you're deeply tempted and overwhelmed with your child and what they're doing. They've done something on purpose or accidentally to you that pushes you down like those grapes. It crushes you like those olives emotionally. And you can put other people in for your kids, but let's just for this example, I'm gonna use kids. In that moment, as your child 
tempts you and tries you. You are suffering. You're in pain. You're frustrated. You're upset. You are hurt. You're under that. That's where you're living. God calls you to endure. What's that mean? Well, let's think about what it doesn't mean. Because you know that in that place of suffering, there's an escape. In this case, for many of us, it's called yelling, lashing out, letting them have it. In that moment of pain, that kind of response will be an escape for you. It will relieve you. It will give you a kind of short-term satisfaction. It feels good to rage vent at the injustice that you feel you're pounded with. It feels good. That's why you do it. That's why it's hard not to do it. You really want that escape from that suffering. And in that moment, you're tempted like you've been many times before. But God doesn't want you to escape. He doesn't want you to give in to that. He actually wants you to live in the pain of not responding that way. He wants you to live under being wounded by hurtful words by your teenager or by recognizing that the dining room walls which you just had painted have been stabbed by your four-year-old with a butter knife. And you laugh, but that kind of stuff happens to us all the time. And, and it, a couple of times it's cute, but the 43rd time, it is not cute. It is painful. But God wants you and me to endure and live under it his way. Instead of getting out of the suffering through that escape hatch called lashing out in rage. And what, now what would that look like to endure it God's way? In a God-pleasing way. It may not mean what you think. Eventually it probably does, but follow me here. Because what I think it means in Paul's mindset is that you need to experience power that you don't have to live in a way that you can't. What Paul means by enduring is he wants you to experience power you don't have to live in a way you can't. He wants you to meet God in this place. And so God will bring you into a place like that where you don't have the resources in yourself to deal. And to get there, you need the resources of his Holy Spirit. You don't have them. But guess what? Jesus has justified you. God has made peace with you and he's placed you in this place, in this new realm called grace and access to him and access to his grace and mercy to be and to do what you cannot be and do on your own. And so in that moment, best case scenario, best case scenario, you remember that and you remember his promise in Hebrews 4, 14 that he's sympathetic towards this weakness and he is empathizing with you and compassionate towards you in this particular trial. And he has grace. God has grace for you that, if, that you are commanded to come with boldness and confidence and plead with him at his throne and say, God, give me the grace I need to respond to my kid the way that you want me to. And best case scenario, in that moment, you feel a sense of those resources that you didn't 
have a few moments earlier. And I can testify that that happens. He does that. And guess what's happening? You're tasting a little bit of that restoration project right now before it's done. You're experiencing the glory of God. You're tasting the value of who he is. And guess what you do with your kid? You reflect that glory back to your little kid. Instead of lashing out in anger, holy goodness, you're calm. (sighs) A little bit. (laughs) You're more calm than you would be. And you're able, by God's grace, instruct Discipline, but not out of a place of rage. That's one ending, and that's a really good one. But now let's say that's not the ending that you encounter. Let's say you don't come to him in that moment, as, as oftentimes many of us don't. And you go for that escape that he didn't want you to go for. And you yell angrily at your child. And let's say you, you cycle and repeat, cycle and repeat that over weeks and maybe over months. What will God do? What will God do as your father? Well, he'll bring you back to that first domino, that place of suffering again. He'll bring you back to suffering. It'll be a different suffering probably. It might be the suffering of the consequence of your child beginning to harden his heart or her heart against you and lose trust in you. And you see that relationship that you treasure and you want sorrowing and disintegrating. It might be, along with that, this experience, it probably will be this experience that your relationship with God feels distant and cold and dry and you knew that it didn't always feel that way, but you lose the joy or the peace in him that you you know you were meant to experience and you know you have experienced Your father now is letting you taste suffering, a different kind, but suffering. The bitterness of a hurt relationship, the distance of him and the damage to your relationship with him. Why is he doing that? Is he doing that to destroy you? No. He's trying to knock a domino into another domino. He wants you to see that sin leads to death. And in seeing that sin leads to death, that you would turn back to him. And so maybe that very night when you recognize, ah, this is awful. This is leading to death. I can't sense God. I'm dried up with him. Me and my kid are a mess. Maybe that very night through the Holy Spirit's conviction, you ask forgiveness for your rage venting. And you go to your kid and you ask forgiveness. And you go to your wife and you ask forgiveness. And little by little, maybe not even that night, but maybe... Over time, they start to heal with you and you sense a closeness from God that you hadn't sensed. And then a few days later, when your child does something along those same things, this time you remember what his loving discipline has taught you and that suffering produces in you something different. Now you do go to him for help. You do plead with him. You say, Lord, I don't want to go back to that first domino. Let's move on to endurance I want this kind of suffering, not that kind of suffering. I want to suffer with you, not away from you. And you plead with him for grace. And he gives it to you. And now you find power to bite your tongue that you didn't have before. And you speak out towards your child with self-control that you didn't have before. God's humbled you and you're meeting him. 
and gives grace to the humble. And you feel the goodness of his ways. You feel the sanity of his lordship and the gentleness of his fatherhood. And now it's being reflected in yours. Now, I know this is just one scenario. We can run this principle, though, over a lot of different scenarios, ones that are more serious, a job loss, a child sickness, a broken relationship, the continuing sadness of a dream unrealized. But in every case, it's suffering. God is allowing you to encounter a situation you don't want, and it's hard. That's what suffering is. It's being in a place you don't want to be in. It's feeling a way you don't want to feel. It's experiencing something you don't want to experience. And that is pain. But in that place, you have a choice. And often it's the same choice. Again and again and again and again, day after day. To turn to the wrong escape. To turn to grumbling and complaining. And begin to normalize what destroyed the Israelites in the desert. God just, <laughs> some of them. You, you begin to normalize bitterness and holding on to offenses. And you get used to it. You nurse your grudges. That's an escape. It feels good. It feels good to nurse grudges. Or maybe it's escaping into complete unreality, like you're just gonna leave the situation completely and just go look at some immoral images on your phone or on your computer because that just brings relief. Numb it with alcohol. Dream the pain away with visions of vengeance. I think I've told you guys before that some people in my life in the past 10 years, I'll be taking a shower and, you know, walking around in my room, brushing my teeth, and they'll come into mine, and what I feel like they've done to me or my church have come, and I just, I just fight them. I get in a physical fight, boom, 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 I punch them in the face. It feels good to imagine that kind of vengeance. There are too many escapes to know, to, to name. Two hours of scrolling through sports media instead of doing your job. And for a time, or maybe for many times, you run into those things, you run to those things, and for a while they feel good in the moment, maybe longer. But if you belong to God, if you're his child, if his spirit lives in you, if his fatherly, loving discipline shepherds you, sooner or later, his grace will reveal and let you taste the deadness of those escapes. And you, if you're his kid, you will learn to hate them like he hates them. And you better pray that you do hate them like he hates them. And you grow in that hatred for those things. Because it's a mark of being his kid that you don't go on loving the things that he hates. That's the mark of an illegitimate person. They love what God hates and they go on loving it. But if he's your Father, you will learn to hate what he hates and you will learn the good of staying under suffering, not by running to those escapes, but by going to him. You will learn to cry out to him and pour out your heart to him. You will learn to see his voice in his word. 
you will learn to walk into his psalms and groan and cry. Just like David through the Holy Spirit groans and cries and deals with depression and doubt. And you will stay in that place and keep fighting in that place. And his spirit will help you find those places that bring you fellowship and suffering. And he'll bring you eventually the right promises to hang your hope on. Or legitimate circumstantial relief that comes when he changes your life somehow. Sovereignly brings something into your life that says this is the end of this season. And we're doing something new now. The, the result of that, that endurance, will be the next domino crashing down. It will be character. Next slide. Oh, go back one slide, please. Endurance. Okay, I, I must have missed character. Go forward one. Go forward one. All right. I missed it. There should be a slide that says character. So go back to six, Ed. The one before. Pretend that says character. The result of of that endurance over time, again and again and again, learning to live with God, go to God, experience God in the midst of that kind of suffering will result in character. This word character in the Greek is, it's a beautiful word. It's close to the idea of something proven, something qualified. Back in the day when Paul wrote these words, there were cheaters who would take Roman coins And they would shave off little bits of silver, just a little bit. If you had like a hundred coins, you could shave off a little bit of silver and get like a a bag of silver out of those coins. You could still use the coins, but now you had a bag of silver and get some more coins out of that silver. So you cheated. You would shave off these bits of silver, but the coins went around to different people who did the same thing. And eventually they just got really thin and really little. And the coin would be put on a scale or just seen by a, merchant, and they would say this coin is, has no character. It has no character. It's not qualified. It's not approved. It has no weight to it. It's lost its weight. So that's what this word group means. But if the coin had weight to it, it would have character. It would be approved. It would be qualified. It would have weight to it. So we might say that through your endurance of suffering in God's ways, he is putting into your life a weight and a character that shows that you're approved. It might look like learning deeper and deeper ways through his faithfulness to you of of how to pray for your enemies and that that's the way to endure the things they did to you and the bitterness that tries to grab your hearts. I've learned, you say, how to not escape into vengeance or distraction or talking about how horrible they are. I've learned to pray for them. And bitterness is losing its grip on my heart. Resentments are falling away. And you're becoming beautiful. And your soul is taking on weight that it didn't have before. Because you're not responding like the devil or like the world. It might mean learning through that discipline, through that endurance to put your head down and get back to work instead of running to distraction and you start to experience the peace that having an ordered life and turning in the day's good work instead of spending half of it on your phone 
that the Holy Spirit gives you a peace and you begin to love that kind of diligence and effort and the order it starts to bring to your life and you just stick with that. It begins to build a love for hard work in your heart that you didn't have before. Well, now you're getting some weight and some character. It looks beautiful. Learning a gentler word builds up way better than experiencing the destruction of harsh words. The point is, over time, going through this cycle, you begin to look different. More and more you look like him. And this in turn leads here to hope. This is the hope. Not explained here in verse in, in, in verse 5 here, just says it leads to hope. So we go back to verse 2 to remind ourselves, what does he mean by hope? We go to the last place, he explained it, and that is the hope of the glory of God, the hope that you will really make it. You see that you're changing. You see that you've, you've been experiencing his faithfulness, and you, you feel the reality of, well, I'm his kid. I really am starting to look better than I looked before. I, I really have experienced his loving discipline I'm loving more and more what he loves. I'm hating what he hates. I'm not perfect. But I look like his kid. This is confirming to you that you really do know him and that you're really gonna make it into his arms. Indeed, you're already experiencing all of that. And that's the point, really, to see who God really is because of that, to look like him. That's the point of the suffering. That's the biggest gift it can give, to experience him. Whether it's good or bad, to experience him. Whether the circumstances change, to be satisfied by him. Paul knew that God was the most delightful thing he could ever hope to experience. That's why he said in Philippians 3, as he's talking about giving up everything of his old life. Indeed, giving up everything in his present life. He said that he did all this that I may know him. Let me move one slide forward. This is why Paul Endured suffering, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. See, brothers and sisters, when you seek to follow God and to put his will and his desires above those of your flesh and the world and the devil, you're going to suffer. God's purpose is that in that suffering, you would experience him. You would experience his power that alone can give you strength to endure. Your suffering is meant not to drive you to despair, but, but through despair, tasting despair, experiencing despair, to drive you to Christ. That's the greatest gift that makes suffering worthwhile. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have gone through horrible things, horrible things. 
many of us, maybe all of us in this room who are old enough have gone through horrible things. But some of you have gone through horrible things that you will now say, that was awful. I would never ask for that. But what I learned and what I experienced of God in that horrible thing, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't, I wouldn't not go through the horrible thing. I didn't like it. I don't want it. I'm not asking for it. <laughs> oh Lord, I'm not signing up for a horrible thing on the way home today. But, but honestly, what you did to me, in me, through me, and how I'm different, I wouldn't trade it because I tasted you. I know you better and you're better than not having the horrible thing happen. Second Corinthians 1, Paul writes of a horrible thing he went through. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul was overwhelmed with this horrible thing. He was not big enough for it. He did not have strength for it. He had lost hope of surviving it. He was sure this thing would destroy him. But what was the purpose of the horrible thing? It was, next slide, to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This was Paul the apostle. Before this incident, he had seen the risen Christ. Before this incident, he had given every ounce of his fiber for the Lord and his gospel. And yet, he was not done. There was a real sense in which he did not see God as God was. There was a real sense in which he had too small a view of who God was for him and how trustworthy and how great and how dependable God was and how worthy of Paul's hope he was. And so God brought Paul through something horrible so that he could experience God as he never had before, so that he could know God as he had never known him before. And that was better for Paul at the end than if he had never experienced it. That is what God is interested in doing through our suffering brothers and sisters. Turning our hope from ourselves and from all the escapes that this world offers. And through his grace, realizing that he's the best. He's the best. He's worth it all. Do you want that? Do you want to know that and taste that? Are you willing to go to him for help to stay in the suffering his way? To endure the suffering his way? if it means that you'll be able to glory in him and glorify him. And I don't mean fake glory, like, oh, praise you, Lord. No, I mean like, oh my gosh, he's really good. So when you say that to somebody, they know you mean it. <laughs> it's, it's real. Are you willing to go through that, even if it means you get less of what you wanted here, of the stuff, what you wanted in terms of a job, a relationship, a person, whatever it is, respect. I believe that we do want that. So let's go to him in prayer. I want you to go to him in prayer right now and bring whatever you're going through, whatever is hard, and ask him for the strength Maybe it's okay right now. Ask him. He wouldn't spare you suffering.
if it would allow you to taste him better and see him better. Let's go talk to him. Tell him we want to see that he's worth it. We want to experience that he's better. Would you just spend a few moments in silent prayer and then I'll close us and dismiss us.